0: Good evening or good morning, whatever time it is where you are. This is the first podcast for the Eclipse Across America, uh, which we will explain later in the podcast today or this evening or this morning, depending on where you are. We have a very special guest, Dr. Madalika Kurta, who goes by a simpler way of saying it, which is just Lika. So I'll just call you that. So Lika is calling in. We're talking by phone. She's calling in from Exmouth in Western Australia which is about 13 hours away from where I am in Texas. It's 8 o'clock Texas time. It's 9 a.m. 13 hours later. It's actually the next day. It's the 19th of April, 2023. So welcome, Lika. How are you this morning?
1: Thank you. This is it, it's a spectacular day. I think all days in Exmouth are pretty spectacular. A beautiful, small town. I think uh, almost like a fishing village. I don't know a fabulous dark sky and just perfect blue sky which is very suitable for coronal observations
0: i'm glad you mentioned that because i forgot to mention that this podcast is about solar eclipses so lika is a nasa astrophysicist she runs the living with a star program and that's what we do we live with a star it's called the sun we share a common interest that we both absolutely love Solar eclipses. She's in uh, Exmouth on the other side of the planet in order to witness tomorrow, her time, a total solar eclipse. Well, you were flying for what about three days, and you've been in country about what three other days? Uh,
1: I, a lot. Before I get into that, let me make you know for a few small adjustments, <laughs> and that is. I am, of course, trained as an astrophysicist, but I am a heliophysicist. Heliophysics is actually a new branch of science. It is the study of the sun and its connectedness to our planet, all other planets, and the heliosphere itself. The other small, um, I think, edit is I used to manage the Living with the Star program for a long, long time. I still work with all the scientists in that field, but I actively don't manage it anymore. And now, Mark, please go ahead, you, it's been a long
0: journey. Because I've known you for quite a while now, we'll have to talk about when we met because I honestly can't remember. I was thinking, well, how do I introduce Lika, like she's like like she's a fellow eclipse chaser and she works at NASA and honestly that's about all I know that I can talk about, about you in, in that sort of vein. And so I was just kind of, I, I looked up on the website, on the NASA website, and was kind of just looking there for, and it says, oh, living with a star. Go, oh, yeah, of course. That was what she was doing.
1: People still associate me with that. They do. Because, you know, I, I I really started the program in terms of implementation as its program scientist in 2001, before we had any missions. You know, the first mission of our program actually launched in 2001. 10 oh, that- observatory. I mean, just imagine that NASA never, I don't think we have ever had a program where we haven't had a mission as the first thing. So the science of living with the star was really, really important. Uh, still is, because it was giving us that connected sun Earth systems picture. It led to the creation of space weather program within NASA but living with the star was really the conduit to it. We were looking at science with relevance that space scientists didn't engage in. Earth scientists always did, but we, you know, astrophysicists type, really did not look at the importance of the applied component of what a star like Sun can do. So that, that's kind of, yeah... Uh, the start but along the way of course i'm a eclipse chaser my life personal life goes in cycles like with eclipses you know cycles are kind of ubiquitous in anyone's life i think and I think it is in that vein i'm sure that we met because we were destined to meet
0: well I think actually thinking about it uh, when you mentioned 2010, I'd made a film for National Geographic about the solar eclipse that happened on Easter Island, which was a very rare event not to happen again uh, for 1,500 years, except there is an annular eclipse coming up there, which I really hope I can get to. And that's going to happen after the big American eclipse, six months after the big uh, 2024 USA eclipse. So I think I came and interviewed you for that program, and I think that's how we met. Um, I don't actually remember, okay. but I think that was it. That was... That was uh,
1: so that is, that is like, as, uh, as I talked about, you know, cycles. So that's one solar
0: cycle ago. Yeah, right. Roughly. Exactly. Well, you know what? I, I count my life in just single solar cycles. It's like, why well, I bother? Do too. Yeah. it's, it's I the, do too. The little, the little uh, these little tiny day things and a month, they're all made up and they mean nothing to me. It's just solar, solar cycles are what uh, seem to be important so let's talk about you have made a trip to the other side of the planet in order to be there while your group that you uh steered sponsored uh, work with mentored and i'm not even sure what other ways to say it but you've got a big experiment a big nasa experiment that you're going to run during this eclipse that's coming up in just hours from now really uh so you want to tell us a little bit about the experiment
1: uh, yes, um, so th- this is, uh, you know, Dr. Shadia Habal from, uh, she's an astronomer from University of Hawaii and has many, many eclipses under her belt. She and I, we got started back in 1995 Ooh. to do our first eclipse together for both of us, even though I studied the eclipses for a long time you know even my thesis kind of involved the eclipse of 1988 uh, from uh, indonesia i believe or philippines but uh, sharia was very interested in actually doing experiment on the eclipse so our first joint eclipse was in 1995 from uh, india october 1995 and thereafter you know i think we might have done few others but soon after that i left my research career and moved to nasa headquarters so it was much harder for me to kind of participate uh, actively as a researcher in teams that were also funded by uh, nasa essentially but we have worked together for a long time and this particular eclipse, it's it's got a story. Um, I was actually uh, participating, attending in the eclipse of 2021, which was the Antarctica eclipse. And we were on a ship together, Shadia was there with her team, SETI Institute was there, there were many fellow astronomers, professional and amateur, they were there, and Shadia had funding uh, for that eclipse too, to really try out a stabilizing uh, platform to be able to observe. Uh, an eclipse promotion because if you think about it you know and think about the circumstance of our planet what well, I mean sort of 75 percent is water so most of our eclipses are over more often over water than land and therefore we always don't get to observe during all eclipses including this one right this we, we are at a very special place uh, X month, the tippy tip of sort of the external edge of uh, Australia, right, and it's, it's a very narrow band, 40 kilometers along this path that is on the land side of the eclipse so astronomers can put their instruments on ground and observe so anyway going back to the connection between this eclipse and the 2021 eclipse is that 2021 eclipse the stabilizing platform worked beautifully but the southern ocean had a storm going on and we were completely stormed out clouded out and did not actually Get to observe the eclipse or take data. So while we were there, one of Sharia's collaborators uh, really sort of, you know, everybody feels really sort of frustrated when this happens, having put years worth of work into something like this. And so this person just made a suggestion and said, hey, not even a suggestion, a question. And the question was, You know, why don't we fly instruments from a kite? We can get above the cloud bank. And and so if there is anything that kind of really uh, tells us that thought generates action, this was one of those moments. Why not? And the rest is where we are. You know, it, it it came up as a very casual idea and conversation. And, you know, there's nothing casual about fellow scientists when they are talking. You never know where you will go from that serendipitous conversation. And, you know, they proposed actually to a program I run called IT, which is Heliophysics Innovation with Technology and Science. And this was like a beautiful um you know proposal for that they got selected and rest is kind of being here at xmouth where this group is going to fly a kite <laughs> fantastic you
0: know, this is almost can imagine Just like go fly a kite go fly a kite it and says, you're going to do it yeah, you're going to yeah, do it in like yeah. 24 hours um, a little no, side note. Clouds for
1: eclipse go
0: fly a kite. Exactly. A, a little side note for people that aren't uh, eclipse experts or or eclipse chasers is that you can go to to any spot on the planet where the eclipse path is going to happen. Uh, it could be you know thousands, tens of well, not tens and tens of thousands, but but a lot of a lot of miles you could go, and then on the day the whole thing can be washed out because you have bad weather. So clouds, they're sort of the. Uh, the bane to an eclipse chaser's day. You, you want a sunny, you want a clear day so uh, you can see the darn thing because uh, the sun, you can't see it if it's behind a cloud. Even, even I mean, eclipses don't last all that long uh, and it's easy for a cloud to come and just be right in front of the sun during a whole eclipse. So it, it's one of these things where you, you, you decide where you're going to go uh, and you go there and you say a prayer and then... If you're blessed, you get the day for it. So speaking of which, earlier today, I looked online to see what the weather forecasts were tomorrow. Because oddly, if it was bad and overcast, that would be quite good for your experiment. Because that would show that you could get above the clouds and see it. However, that would be bad for the the locals and for all the people that have traveled as far as they have to Exmouth. And uh, because they wouldn't see it. Uh, But uh, it looks good for tomorrow i mean it looks great it looks it like looks a clear day for,
1: it really looks good for tomorrow and let me tell you sort of there is a thing for kite flyers too it's not cloud but it's wind so wind has to be of certain strength in order to you know lift the kite and fly it so, <laughs> so you can fly a Right.
0: I love that. I, I, I love the fact that we're talking about what you need to fly a kite. Like you need wind. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, right. right. You need wind. Yeah. So you never know. It might be dead calm tomorrow. That might be a problem. I hadn't thought about that. But you. It, yeah, it wouldn't be a problem. If, if it's dead calm, you don't get to fly the kite, and it's clear, you get to see the eclipse. So it's sort yes. of every, it's okay. a win-win thing kind of all around it looks like. <laughs>
1: And, and by the way, so the team that I am with, you know, they are, uh, uh, kite flying is one of the components NASA is funding, but there are, uh, they have many other ground-based equipment, you know, really continuing the good signs of uh, spectroscopy and looking at the innermost part of the outermost atmosphere of the sun called the corona and we know that it's only during a total solar eclipse that you can get good observations at the very edge of the sun and that's very very important
0: absolutely and you know i'm really glad you mentioned the the ground-based normal way of doing it uh because i i kind of in my mind i was thinking that that uh the whole NASA thing would just be this kite. It's like, no, Mark, there's going to be, like, other observations on the ground. So one way or the other, you'll get some observations, even if you don't have oh, wind. Oh, we will.
1: Yeah. <laughs> we will. And, uh, you know, this is, this is also kind of a special eclipse for many reasons, but let me talk first about the cycle of the sun. So this eclipse is actually sort of, at the rising phase of solar cycle 25, the sun is very active, you know, and lots of sunspots, lots of CMEs, flares happening a lot. We've lately in the northern hemisphere seen a lot of auroras, auroras that are even visible from Colorado. That kind of really indicates a pretty strong level of geomagnetic storm. So, we are going to see an eclipse perhaps with uh, you know prominences uh, launching filament eruption uh, post flare loops you you name it <laughs> right so there's going to be all kinds of interesting observations to be made and now we also have Parker solar probe that's very very close to the sun so there's going to be a great effort to connect this You know, what Parker is observing in situ, meaning locally in the environment of the spacecraft, and what we are seeing at the very edge, uh, at the beginning of the inner um, corona, that's going to be pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, for for people that don't know, um, this eclipse is only about one minute long, so all these observations have to be taken pretty darn quickly. But the other thing is, uh, as Lika pointed out, the sun, in a more colloquial way of putting it, has been going totally nutso for the last few months. I mean, it's just been wild out there. So, yes, this could be an amazing... So, I mean, it'll be amazing regardless because they're amazing, but this could be something special. I'm always thinking that when I have the, the opportunity to see one, that maybe I'm just going to see something coming out of that coming out of that that we've just never seen before because because you just don't know you just got to go and look and see but this time yeah you might you might you might see some things so i'm looking forward to seeing what your results are like i wish i were there i almost was going to come and be there but i just flaked out because uh (laughs) i didn't want to travel that much it's i've been to australia
1: it's, it's a very very long journey up to Exmouth, because Exmouth is a small city, so even getting flights, you know, they, it, it's many hours. Okay? It is. It is. Uh, Exmouth, well,
0: Exmouth is in the middle of nowhere. Like Lika was talking about, yes. it's on the west uh, western side of Australia. If you know Australia, it kind of bumps out. It's kind of halfway up the bump. It's on a little tiny uh, peninsula, and... And I can't say it's the middle of nowhere because, like, there's things around it. But, you know, it's Australia. There's a lot of outback. And I've been there. I know it very well. And getting there the last time I went, which was, I think, back in 2014, uh, to watch an annular eclipse rise out of the horizon at sunrise, it blew my mind. Uh, I just, it was a painful journey for me. It was just, it was arduous. So this time around, it was like, oh man, I wanna see another eclipse. Cause after a while, I mean, we were talking recently, what was the last eclipse that we saw? And I'm, I can't even, I, I, what was it? I think the last time when I saw was in Chile, that was like in 2019. And so that's coming up to four years from now or is four years from now. So to an eclipse chaser, you kinda, you kinda, because these things are so short, You kind of start jonesing for the next one after a year or so. And again, for people that don't know, total eclipses happen on an average of about once every 18 months. But that's totally just an average. Sometimes they're shorter uh, together and other times they're longer apart. But because of the nature of them kind of popping up around the planet, it's, it's unless you're incredibly filthy rich and just can fly there for fun it's it's kind of difficult to get to these things for everyone and even if even if you did it's it would only be once every 18 months on average so anyway we get we get sort of anxious to go see one and i was really anxious to go but i just couldn't bring myself to it so tell me a little bit about the the journey tell you 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 flew in you flew there i mean how are are you rested are you ready so, for tomorrow
1: um yes yes i i think i i i at least got Four or five hours of sleep last night i can't say that that's what i have gotten every day through this trip it's it's kind of getting over is essentially the time zone difference for your own body is a challenge so i got to australia on 12th of april i started from denver on 10th of april i came to brisbane and at Brisbane, I met with the CSIRO people, you know, kind of trying to figure out, I thought if I'm coming all the way to Australia, it would be great to visit with as many different agencies as I can for, you know, future collaboration, partnership and all that. And Southern Hemisphere has so much to offer. You know, Earth's magnetic field is not exactly symmetric, we know that. and we don't have enough data from the Southern Hemisphere like we do in the Northern Hemisphere. So the you know idea of kind of figuring out if there are citizen science stuff we can do, real science we can do. So I met with them and then I left on the 16th of April and went to Adelaide where I met with the Australian Space Agency. It's a new space agency, a lot going on, and also the Bureau of Meteorology, that has a new space weather desk. that was absolutely, I, I had no knowledge of that, and it was just wonderful to see that, and seeing a lot of our data that we share globally with everyone, right, from NASA, from Solar Dynamics Observatory, and Stereo, and Ace, and all of that, they are vital for really creating space weather nowcast and uh, forecast. So that they were there, right, in the space weather desk. That was also really uh, terrific in terms of figuring out kind of niche areas where Australia is doing really well, especially with radio observation that uh, we haven't done uh, for a while at NASA. Uh, so th- that was the, that. And then I left Adelaide, uh, uh, on the 17th and got to my hotel in Perth at twelve thirty a.m of the 18th and my next flight to Exmouth was at 7 a.m so you can imagine there wasn't much sleep involved that <laughs> evening so got to Exmouth at 9 a.m and it was fascinating. Uh, the, the airport people were bewildered, you know, like they haven't seen so many people all at once. And, you know, luggage took its time to come. People are just wonderful, friendly, helpful. And my idea was that I was going to take a taxi and go to town it takes about 30 to 40 minutes and I'm waiting and looking for a taxi stand and something and I see nothing (laughs) so I go back inside and I ask someone I said where where is the taxi stand and this lady looked at me and asked me where I was going and I gave her the name of my hotel and she (laughs) said well here is the number to call for taxi it will take them about you know 30-40 minutes to come from town that there are only three taxis <laughs> in town uh, I mean, you know nobody had shared any of this information with me because most people rented a car and then she pointed out to me that there were several big buses that was going to town I said why don't you go check with one of them i'm sure they are going to go to your uh, hotel and that's what happened so I
0: got there. <laughs> uh, i got to tell you a really quick, funny story on Easter Island. So we were going to transmit the eclipse data, the filming of it, uh, back to National Geographic in, in D.C. And uh, I wanted to film the main part of our observation at a particular set of moai in the north set, moai of those big statues uh, in the northern side of the the island, but we had to broadcast it from the town there, and my producer wouldn't let me like do it because he was afraid that he couldn't get the videotapes to the to the satellite system that we had installed. We took our own satellite system because of the traffic that we would would be late, and I I just thought, yeah, okay, yeah, we don't want to we don't want to miss, you know, we don't get caught up in traffic. Anyway, you get to Easter Island. And and yes, there was an additional, I think, 2,000 or 4,000 people that had gone to that eclipse. But there's no cars and there's no traffic. I could have walked the videotapes down from the north of the island and been fine. So I just thought it was funny. It's these little details that make up uh, the difference in kind of what you're going to do on the actual day. So I should have told you. It's like, yeah, there's nobody in in be prepared. Learmouth. Yeah. There's just there's not many people there. I mean, we really are talking about the middle of nowhere. So you know I you must know there's a solar observatory there in, in Learmouth. Learmouth, uh, yes, yeah. yes. And so do you know those people?
1: I think I might know a few of them. I'm gonna see some people during lunch today.
0: Okay, cool. Well we tried to break in there in two thousand fourteen, uh, when I was last there. We were we had kind of spotted it and thought we'd go and talk to some people there and talk about the sun and the eclipses and nobody was there so when I say we tried to break in we didn't like break any windows or anything we just tried to make our way in and and actually you know what I think we did I think some guard came and, and uh, precluded our investigation of entry and then I think he let us in and showed us around a little bit <laughs> my memory's getting really bad but uh, it's, a, it's a cool place I'm glad you're there I wish I were there with you and uh, tomorrow looks like it's going to be a great day. And I don't know. What else can we say about this particular experiment? Uh, there's so much more to talk about. We have other things coming up, which I think we should mention while we're talking. And uh, I did want to talk to you today because tomorrow is your event. What time, in, what time of the day is it happening?
1: About uh, close to 11.30 a.m. Uh, local time. Okay, Here so... at Exmouth.
0: Right. So it's uh, just over 24 hours from now, and you're all settled in, and you're yes. ready to go, and all your equipment's ready, and, and uh, all is good. So will you come back and, and give us a report uh, uh, for the next...
1: Definitely. After definitely. the event? Definitely. I think I want to share one kind of special highlight of this eclipse. Good, good. That I think we haven't ta- talked about very much. And th- this is a very interesting eclipse. It's not a ordinary total solar eclipse. It's a hybrid eclipse. And a hybrid eclipse, you must know, Mark, is a combination of a total and an annular eclipse. And hybrid eclipses make up only about 3% of solar eclipses. You know, the last uh, hybrid eclipse that was visible anywhere in the world was November 3rd, 2013, And clearly, you know, it has to be a very special circumstance for the same eclipse to produce both annular and hybrid eclipse. You know, it's it's the distance between sun, moon, curvature of Earth, all of that. So if you you look at the eclipse path, you know, it's going from Antarctica to Marshall Islands. And, you know, as you are coming from Antarctica during that time part of it is annular and as the eclipse is fading away to marshall island again part of it is annular the rest of it is total
0: i i am so glad you brought up the fact that it's a hybrid they are my favorite types of eclipses as you see more eclipses you start to like favor them and uh hybrids i'm just i'm totally enamored with them I, i tried to put myself at the point of transition between it being annular and total uh, in order to like see this, I, I don't even know what it would be like, but but kind of conceptually you would have Bailey's beads forming all around and the entire kind of solar lunar limb until it went into totality. So I tried to hire a boat uh, off of Bermuda to take me into the middle of the Bermuda Triangle so I could be at the spot of this transition. And, of course, nobody would take me. They thought I was absolutely crazy. But, man, it's, it's on my bucket list. I want to be at this point on the Earth and be at that transition point between hybridness. Is that a word? I don't know. And totality. Oh boy,
1: you can make it up.
0: <laughs> yeah, hybridness. <laughs> if it's not a word, it is now. So, yeah, I'm in love with them. And uh, the mechanics... Actually, I was thinking the other day, talking to my friend uh, Jay Ryan, who's a is like a celestial mechanic who understands these these motions of the planets and how their orbits work, the mechanics of it, so that that the size of the moon, the apparent size of the moon, changes just that much to transition from not blocking off the entire uh, surface of the sun to the whole thing. It's it's how it's just crazy. You know these are big objects we're talking about on these huge orbits and yet there's a point when it's going to make that little move to where it's a little bit too close to block it out to so, just so where it's going to block you it out. So
1: talk about that. I mean, think about it. I mean, the coincidence just doesn't stop there, right? So the total solar eclipses happen when the moon is between the sun and earth, right? and sun is about 400 times wider than the moon and it's also a little more than 400 times further from earth than the moon during a total solar eclipse. So, you know, when we, to our eyes, they appear basically the same size. And that's why we actually have total solar eclipses and we can see the corona. Now, as we are finding out, you know, Uh, planetary systems with moons do not seem to be all that unique in the universe but uh, these kind of uh, total solar eclipses are not visible as far as i know from our solar system on all of the moons of all of the other planets so earth is really relatively uncommon in that it has a moon of both the right size and distance to allow for the occurrences of total solar eclipses. But most importantly, this is the only planet we know that possesses the life forms capable of witnessing this, you know, majestic celestial mechanics interaction.
0: Well, you know, sorry, so go on.
1: I, I, I actually want to end this by saying that This is not going to go on forever, because Moon's orbit is gradually, um, you know, increasing. I I forget, it's something like 1.5 inches per year or something like that. And in roughly about 600 million years, the Moon will not be able to cover the entire solar disk from the vantage point of Earth.
0: Well, we're not going to end here because you've touched on on the you know the absolute most amazing things about this it's like the so-called coincidence that we're in this situation we have the earth that we live on human beings with minds that can perceive things and and ponder them and we have this big moon this big ass moon that's bigger than most moons and in fact some people say we're in a, a what a binary planet system and It just happens to be that 400 times smaller, but 400 times closer than the sun. And it happens to occasionally cross over perfectly at the node, that point where they're exactly in between. And actually eclipses don't even happen. There's a whole range of spots near the node where you get these different sizes, different types of eclipses, partial eclipses, et cetera, et cetera. And and we're here, like you said, won't go on forever, but we just happen to have these sentient beings on this planet that can witness this thing. And what I love about it is It doesn't happen every month like if the if the moon crossed the node every month well it crosses the node every month but the node is not aligned with the sun every month so that's another beautiful thing that that's a whole other discussion and uh uh, but if it happened every month then they'd probably become kind of boring to people like oh yeah another solar eclipse you know what happened it's like the full moon
1: no no if you can see the corona it cannot be
0: boring yeah, okay, you're right. You're I think right. I
1: will end with that. <laughs> there is nothing more spectacular celestial event other than witnessing a total solar eclipse and unveiling of the corona.
0: Well, I could not agree with you more. It's the most amazing thing that I've ever seen. And it's uh, I recommend to anyone... Uh, particularly coming up in America. We have a large population, much larger than the one that we had in 2017 for the previous Eclipse Across America. But we have another one that cuts up through the most populated parts of America. And we'll have many, many more people that are uh, able, have the opportunity to witness a total solar eclipse, which is, for a lot of people, a a once-in-a-lifetime. And a lot of people miss it. Like, I used to make a joke that if you died and went to heaven, you'd be talking to some alien that lived in heaven, like an alien, you know, a different type of creature. And they'd say, oh, you're from Earth. Yeah. Amazing place, man. You guys get those solar eclipses. Those are cool. And the Earthling says, looks at the alien and goes, solar eclipses. What, what, what's that? And the aliens like you, you sure you're from Earth? And it's like, yeah. Second, like, you don't know. You never saw a solar eclipse. That's that's why they built that planet. Come on. That's the that's the whole deal. So.
1: And, you know, maybe I want to end with, since you brought up the eclipse of next year with kind of what we at NASA are promoting, Heliophysics Big Year. And, and the goal is that it is a public engagement campaign designed to promote heliophysics broadly, you know, make the science and information accessible to all and showcase NASA's heliophysics related efforts. We are challenging the public to participate in as many ways to practice, you know, heliophysics activities as possible leading up and around solar maximum, which is like in October of 2025. But we are going to start around the annular eclipse in October of 2023. In uh, December 2024, we have the perihelion of Parker Solar Probe getting to the closest distance that we had dreamt of uh, with this spacecraft. Uh, So this heliophysics big year is really important in engaging citizen scientists.
0: Well, I think that's we should end here because if we didn't, we would start on the next episode, which will have to cover as these things go on, because I, I hope you'll come back and talk uh, kind of ad nauseum over the next uh, year and a half, which is the time period of the annular eclipse and the total solar eclipse here in America. And so, yeah, that's that's what this podcast is going to be about. It starts here with you in Exmouth witnessing this event and then moves forward over the next 18 months as we go to this giant event uh, in America. So uh, come back. Let's Let's start pursuing this moving forward. And also, I hope that we can talk in a few days. I don't know. You might be exhausted or traveling or I don't know when we can get back together after the event there in Exmouth. But I want to hear how it went. I want to hear the results or not the results, but I want to hear how things went for the capturing of the data. And everybody wants to know, I'm sure, about the kite flight. And and just to kind of get your impressions on this eclipse that you're about to see in about 27 hours, something like that. So will you come back and talk to us uh, at your earliest convenience after the event?
1: Absolutely. And uh, thank you very much for this opportunity. And um, until next time.
0: Well, it's been a total pleasure. And we will talk soon. And and I'll let you go just say, I don't want to say good luck because it kind of transcends that uh, clear skies, I think people say, in the eclipse world. Uh, I'm excited. It's like like I said, like 25, 26 hours from now. It's like I, I wish I were there. It's driving me crazy. I'm sitting here in Texas. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Mark. I'm sure you have bye. a big day. You have a wonderful day, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Okay. Sorry, bye.